Welcome to Noblesville First for online worship today, Sunday, September 13th. We are starting a series called Be the Bridge, Seeking God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation. Today we talk about the importance of lament and acknowledging our past. Please join me in the call to worship. Sing praise to God who rescues us when we fail. Sing praise to God who walks with us on all our journeys. Thanks be to God whose love is always with us. Praise be to God whose mercy is over us all. Amen. join me in the call to prayer. God of might and mercy, your love transforms our lives. Hear our prayer, O Lord. You take darkness and give light. You take grief and give healing. Hear our prayer, O Lord. You take fatigue and give strength. You take fear and give courage. Hear our prayer, O Lord. We hand over to you all that weighs us down, waiting for your refreshing gifts. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Now you may join me in a time of prayer. We'll have a time of silence to reflect upon the prayers of our hearts and the prayers of our faith community. Then there'll be a pastoral prayer and we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. Let us pray. Loving and merciful God, we come before you this day fresh from a week in which we have been challenged. Some of the challenges have caused us worry and strife. Other challenges bring to us clear directions for our lives. In all of this, you are with us, bringing healing and peace. We offer to you names of those who are ill, who mourn, who feel lost or alienated wondering if anyone cares about them. Hear our prayers, O Lord. Bring your healing mercies to all these people we have named. 
We also bring to you, loving God, names and situations of great joy and celebration. For you have been in our midst during these times, as well as during the difficult times. So hear our praises, O God. Bring your loving presence to all these people we have named. For it is in confidence of your abiding love and mercy that we offer our prayers in the name of Jesus, who teaches us to pray by saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs> Octo, what's wrong? I don't want to talk about it, Olivia. Don't worry, Octo. It's safe to share your troubles with a close friend like me. Well, that's the problem. I don't want to say the wrong thing again. What do you mean? Well, I said something very mean to my friend Godwin yesterday. I was just making a joke. I didn't know it was going to be a mean thing to say, but he's really upset with me now. Well, that's not good. What did you say to him? Oh, Octo, no wonder Godwin is upset with you. I know. I messed up pretty bad. This is even worse than the time I got my tentacles stuck on the windshield of that submarine. What am I going to do? You know, Octo, people mess up a lot. King David messed up really big one time in today's Bible story and spent a lot of time lamenting. Lamenting? What does that mean? To lament is to express deep regret, grief, or sorrow. David did this through prayer with God because his heart was broken. It was a way for him to express how sorry he was to God. Well, does lamenting fix things then? Not always, but it's a start. Lamenting can help us take the first step in showing how sorry we are. Then we can work on mending things. Well, Olivia, maybe I should spend some time lamenting before I talk to Godwin then. I think that's a good idea, Octo. I'll be praying for you and I'm always here to talk. Good morning, we're the Snyders. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 51 verses 1 through 12. Have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Because I know my wrongdoings, my sin is always right in front of me. I've sinned against you, you alone. I've committed evil in your sight. This is why you are justified when you render your verdict completely correct when you issue your judgment. Yes, I was born in guilt, in sin, from the moment my mother conceived me. And yes, you want truth in the most hidden places. You teach me wisdom in the most secret space. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and celebration again. Let the bones you crushed rejoice once more. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilty deeds. Create a clean heart for me, God. Put a new faithful spirit deep inside me. Please don't throw me out of your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Return the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me with a willing spirit. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For Lord, you are our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. 
For many of us, it is no secret that the Bible does not shy away from the harsh realities of life, death, and the consequences of our actions. Psalm 51 is one such text that invites us to get a glimpse into the heart of a man who committed horrendous acts and cries out to God for healing and forgiveness. This is King David's lament. It comes just after he has taken advantage of a woman named Bathsheba, who he had seen minding her own business while bathing on her roof in the evening. She was participating in her monthly purification ritual. Nothing in the text suggests that she was a temptress, simply that King David saw something that he liked and did whatever he could do to have it. Now here's a situation where a man in power uses his status and authority to do much harm. From the moment David sends her Bathsheba, she finds herself a victim of royal power and lust. He takes because he can and no one can stop him from taking. Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And at this news, David has her husband deliberately killed on the front lines of battle. In the middle of this sin, shame, and brokenness, David is told that God would spare his life, but that the child Bathsheba carries would not live. David, finally hitting rock bottom, laments his sin and pleads with God for mercy. The words of this psalm show us David's confession and how it led him to fall on God's mercy and compassion. Have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely clean of my guilt and purify me from sin. Because I know my wrongdoings and my sin is always right in front of me. Create a clean heart for me, O God. Put a new faithful spirit deep inside. Perhaps many of us can relate to David's words, especially in the aftermath of our own sin or shameful actions. We can't hide anymore, and we cry out for mercy and forgiveness. Like the story of King David, we might wish that some of our own stories could be untold. However, there are times that we must face the truth. There are moments when stories must be told no matter how difficult they are to hear or to share. We do not unravel the structures of oppression or victimization by ignoring these problems or by denying they exist. We must lament them and begin processes for healing and redemption. To lament means to express sorrow or regret. Lament allows us to connect with and grieve the reality of our sin and suffering. It has the potential to reconnect us with God and leads us to hope and redemption. Lament is not easy. In fact, lament makes us uncomfortable. Author and professor Soon Chan Ra writes in his book, Prophetic Lament, A Call for Justice in Troubled Times, that Americans love to focus on praise, comfort, thanksgiving, and worship, anything but lament. He relates our avoidance of lament to a culture of triumphalism. As Americans, most of us are reluctant to share our pain publicly or confess when we have done harm or done wrong. We don't like to sit with pain or discomfort. But as Ra writes, 
Lament holds great value. We must begin to be open to sitting with sadness and despair. And when that time passes, we must be willing by the grace of God to pick ourselves up and respond in some way. Lament has the ability to connect us with God, but it also allows us to experience God's response while working with our relationship with God to help make things right. In King David's case, after his darkest of nights, he finally got up, he washed himself, changed his clothes, and went to temple and worshiped. Sitting with his darkness and pain allowed him to act, to reconnect, and find new joy in the morning. For Bathsheba, we see that victimization does not have the final word. Through her, God brings about a future king of Israel as she appears in the genealogy of Jesus. She also finds her voice later in life as she asserts herself and tells King David to make Solomon the future king of Israel, altering the story of God's people. Bathsheba gives us hope that those who have had their voices silenced, those who have been victimized or oppressed, may find justice and equality. Bathsheba's victimization challenges us to face how power abuses authority and how vulnerable persons in society often bear the brunt of the consequences. For far too long, we in America have been reluctant to sit with the harsh realities of our history and current reality of racism. We have not taken the time to sit with our shame and discomfort of the harm that has been done and continues to be done today. So we are invited to a time of lament. We are invited to sit in sorrow for a while, to avoid trying to fix it right away. When we sit with pain, only then is it really useful. Only then will it lead us to wisdom and healing. The work of racial reconciliation requires us to acknowledge the harm that has been done and to lament it. If we are to be the bridge, for repairing and healing, we begin by acknowledging our histories, both personal and communal. We confess the ways that we have been complicit in oppressive systems, or even the ways that we have been silent. I was curious about my family history, so I asked some hard questions this past week. I asked about any history of possible slave ownership or participation in racially oppressed causes. Now, while there was none to be found, I do know that part of my family escaped Russia due to rampant anti-Semitism and violence against the Jewish people. That is part of our story. Now, as a child, I lived in a mostly white, privileged neighborhood in Knoxville, Tennessee. The local country club, which my parents refused to be a part of, would not allow black families to join. I went to a somewhat diverse high school and I had several black friends. But there are things I lament. I remember a time when I volunteered to be a part of a group that was shopping for a needy family around the holidays. After I returned home, someone in my family asked if I thought that the needy family that we were shopping for was black. After being a bit shocked by the question, my response was, it doesn't matter. But the question haunted me, and it still does today. 
because there in my own family were underlying prejudices and assumptions about people of color. This on top of the fact that my grandmothers occasionally said racially insensitive things from time to time. I lament these instances and confess times when I myself have made assumptions or have been complicit in unjust systems. I currently lament the fact that my son attends a preschool that is not very racially diverse. And I hope that he will have plenty of opportunities in his lifetime to be in relationships with people of all races and cultures, and that I may play a part in that. What are you lamenting today? Whatever it is, may the God of grace be with you and fill you with unrelenting hope as we lament, pray, and respond together. And may David's prayer also be ours. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Let us pray. Lord, as we become aware of the intensity of the racial divide, our hearts are broken. Help us not to rush from this place of hurting to triumphalism or repair, but rather lament as you call us to do. May our laments be a form of worship, a joining of our hearts with yours as we grieve the lack of your kingdom justice here on earth. Strengthen us for this path as without you, the overwhelming depth of the problems that must be addressed and acknowledged would be devastating. We know that you mourn with us and comfort us as we mourn with one another. In Christ's holy name we pray, amen. Each week, we take a moment during the service to spotlight a ministry made possible through your faithful giving. This week, we'd like to lift up our Caring Connection team. Our Caring Connection team has delivered over 50 meals over the past three months to those in our church family that have been in need of special care. A special thanks to those who are willing to prepare meals, which are most welcome after surgery and in other times of need. If you wish to be part of this care ministry, please contact Carol Miller at the church office. For other opportunities to serve, please check out the Opportunities to Serve links on our website or our church app, or you can contact the church office. One way you can get involved is by volunteering to help clean and prepare rooms at the Teeter Lodge and cabins. Our Teeter reservations and preparations are done entirely by volunteers, and we can always use a few extra hands to keep the Teeter facilities clean and ready for use. If this is something you can help with, please contact the church office. And now, as we enter into our time of offering, which is available online, through the app or by mailing a check to the church office, will you join me in a word of prayer, asking God to bless this offering. God, we thank you again for the opportunity to come this morning and worship. We ask as we consider our joyful giving that you would use these gifts, these tithes, these offerings for nothing more than the expansion of your kingdom, for the love and grace and mercy that you pour into the world Allow us to be stewards of the gifts we have been given to spread your love to every corner of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello. I am Joseph Chimbanda, and uh, this is my wife, Anna. Why Anna and I 
passionate with the crop hunger walk. For more than 30 years, we coordinated walked raised funds while in Muncie, in Denver, Colorado, and now here at the Novels First United Methodist Church. In 1977, Anna with our little five children fled Angola to adieu the war torn. They were stranded in Lisbon, Portugal, waiting for the refugee status granted to enter the United States while I was a student at Ball State University in Muncie. While Anna and our children in Portugal, the church world service sent a check of $1,000 to Anna without us knowing the source of the money. Our children had a great joy to see the food on table. Later on, we found out that the money came from Crop Hunger Walk. Our dog, Peaches, always walks with us, so I made her little outfit. Hi, I'm Linda Davies, and Tom and I have walked the Crop Walk in Noblesville ever since we've been here, and our church has promoted it. This year, it's different. Why? Because of COVID. And it's going to be called a virtual walk. Virtual means that we're not going to actually go to a particular place and walk a certain route. No, each of us gets to choose how we're going to walk. Even though it's a virtual walk, the need is real. People are hungry here in Noblesville, and they're hungry around the world. All you have to do is sign up and register. And it's so easy this year. All you do is go to our church's website, noblesvillefirst.com, and you scroll down until you see the little box that says Crop Walk, you click on it, scroll down a little further until it says Walk and Donate. After that, you go up to the top of the page and it says either Register or Donate. It's just that easy. and tried we're oft made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long while there are others living about us never Our home so lonely and drear. 
Pastor Jill shared, Psalm 51 is a lament on the part of King David following a horrible abuse of his power. And what I want to focus on in my message today is rediscover the significance of lament in restoring us to God and to one another. We need to see how King David, instead of doubling down and denying his sin and failure, chose to face his sin. He sought repentance and therefore he found redemption. There's an important lesson in this passage for those of us that are seeking racial reconciliation. Some really powerful words here by David in the psalm. For example, verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart. O God, put a new and faithful spirit inside of me. Verse 13 says, Then I will teach wrongdoers your ways, and sinners will come back to you. There is power in lament and acknowledgement. It has a significant presence in our scriptures. It was seen in the Hebrew faith as a necessary step towards redemption and reconciliation with God. Many of the Psalms are laments. We have a book of lamentations. Jesus also lived out this cultural trait on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lament was how he found the strength to face his sacrificial death. So we see both in King David and Jesus that lament has the power to connect us with God. It's a power I believe our culture often misses out on because we don't like dwelling on our failures. We quickly sweep things under a rug and get on with things, but because we often skip this necessary step, we don't fully repent and therefore we don't experience full reconciliation. I believe that is even more true when it comes to facing our racial history. Jim Wallace has described slavery as America's original sin. You know, we can call that ancient history, and many people do, and, and just declare that there's nothing we can do about the sins of our ancestors, but to do so fails to see that many of the racial tensions we're facing today are residual effects of that history that has persisted even to today. If we don't acknowledge and lament that past, we'll be blind to the systemic racism that affects all of us. If you're reading the book, Be the Bridge, you're seeing stories that were never taught in our history lessons growing up. 
And as you experience these stories, I hope you'll find an empathy that enables you to see the world through the eyes of persons of color, whose experience and opportunities have been very different from us who are part of a dominant white culture. We bemoan the poverty and violence in our inner cities, but we fail to see these are byproducts of our continued racial oppression. Our history books declare that slavery ended with the Civil War. But the reality is the 13th Amendment that outlawed slavery included a clause that allowed for slavery to be used as a punishment for a crime. The result was in the South, many former freed slaves were subjected to debt slavery or were sentenced to slavery for minor crimes like walking on the wrong side of the street. Black citizens were assessed taxes and charged excessive interest. Black orphans were returned to the plantations where their cost of living were charged against them in debt that kept them in slavery. Slavery did not end in 1865. Last month, the Indiana Annual Conference that we are all a part of, held a one-day session on the campus of Indiana Wesleyan University. Most of us attended the session virtually, but I learned last week that there was a plan to lament and acknowledge that Marion, Indiana was the location of what is believed to be the last lynching of an African-American in the northern part of the U.S. Unfortunately, that portion of the service got pushed aside by some extended legislative debate, and it never happened. But that information piqued my interest, so I looked into the story, and I learned that this particular lynching has now been acknowledged in an exhibit at the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, Alabama, which opened in 2018. The event occurred in 1930, as late as 1930, and people still have a hard time talking about it in Marion even today. There's an article in the Annapolis Star in 2018 about that lynching. According to the Equal Justice Initiative, more than 4,400 African-American men, women, and children were hanged, burned alive, shot, drowned, or beaten to death by white mobs between 1877 and 1950. That history is part of the terror that is experienced by persons of color every time there's a police shooting. So I hope it helps you understand the protest and the outrage that's taking place every time one of these shootings occurs. For me, the most upsetting story that was shared in the Be the Bridge book is Latasha Morrison's description of the Tulsa Race Massacre, or also known as the destruction of Black Wall Street in 1921. In 1921, the Greenwood neighborhood of Tulsa was a bustling modern mecca on the fringes of Tulsa, Oklahoma. During the oil booms of the 1900s, many African-Americans had moved to Tulsa in hopes that this new industry would bring economic opportunity. In the following two decades, much of the local black population settled into Greenwood because they were pushed out of Tulsa and the surrounding areas by racist municipal laws. Laws that prohibited black people from moving onto a block where at least three-fourths of the residents were non-black. But this pulling of talent led to a sophisticated, highly educated, and prosperous black community. Over time, the majority community became determined to keep the black community in their place. Any black work worker reaching for the American dream was met with hostility. Whites levied against black men false accusations of rape or sexual advancement of white women. There were accusations of theft and other petty crimes. And amid this attention, a 19-year-old Dick Rowland, who was a shoe shiner 
in Tulsa was accused of assaulting a white woman while riding the elevator at the downtown building where he worked. Roland was arrested and taken to the courthouse where he was held to await judicial proceedings. The white community gathered, the white community demanded justice by lynching and marched toward the courthouse. The black community gathered at the courthouse in an attempt to protect Roland to ensure justice. Tensions rose, a few shots were fired, and the black citizens fled back to their Greenwood neighborhood. The next morning, the white mob descended upon Greenwood. Buildings and homes were looted. Black men lynched. Airplanes flew over and firebombed the neighborhood. The National Guard appeared and arrested more than 6,000 black citizens from the area, and not one white person was arrested. By the end of the massacre, which lasted only two days, over 300 African Americans had been murdered. More than 40 square blocks of homes had burned to the ground, and 10,000 African Americans were left homeless. Businesses were lost forever, and the once thriving community was desecrated in one day by citizens, the police force, the National Guard, and governing agencies. It would be 80 years before this massacre was ever publicly acknowledged. Like so many injustices, the Tulsa massacre has been buried to the point that most present-day officials and citizens in Tulsa are unaware of that history. And therefore, they don't realize how the current poverty in North Tulsa traces back to the Greenwood tragedy. The oppression of that community has created a sense of hopelessness, of lawlessness that has continued through the years. And there's so many other oppressive acts of racial injustice that we could spend time on, like the Jim Crow laws, the limiting of voter registration, the redlining of neighborhoods, the implicit bias that so many of us are not even aware of that limit the opportunities for persons of color. A recent NPR poll found only 30% of Americans say they've taken any action to better understand issues around race. And that has got to change if we want racial reconciliation. But here's the good news. King David listened to Nathan the prophet. As this Psalm 51 attests, he turned to God, he acknowledged his sin, he accepted the consequences. David's lament meant sitting in sorrow and sackcloth and ashes for the pain he had caused, seeking God's forgiveness. Let me use Latasha Morrison's wording here. When his son finally passed, David rose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. His time of lament prepared his heart for reconnection with God. It prepared him for action, for reconnection with the people around him. If we truly want racial recognition today, then we need, like King David, to discover the power of lament. We need to acknowledge our racial past and make the connections to the challenges we're facing today. Then and only then can we find the motivation that we're going to need to work on the racial inequities that are still there for our generation to resolve. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you do bring us together. I know deep down we all want a world where each of us see the value in one another, where each are respected. But we have to understand the past in order to move forward with the future.
and to face the challenges of the present. Give us that heart, the heart of King David, who recognized his failures and turned to you and found the salvation, the reconciliation that only you can provide. That is our hope on this day, through Christ who is our Lord. Amen. announcements to share with you today. Uh, be sure to know that in addition to this online worship at 9.30 each week, we are currently having outdoor worship out at Teeter until October 4th through October 4th at 8.15 and 10 a.m., weather permitting. Uh, we also now have 21 tags from Prevail, a ministry that helps families that are facing domestic abuse. So we have three children we're trying to find some winter clothing for. If you'd like to help, come to door number one, and you'll find just inside the North at the Welcome Center, the clothesline tags, grab a tag or two, and have those returned by Monday, September 21st. I do want you to know we have made the decision to start indoor worship on October the 11th. Our staff is working on the details of what that schedule will look like. Hope to have those to you by next week, but to put that October 11th date on your calendar. Crop walk is doing very well. We have now raised almost $6,000 towards our $7,000 goal. Uh, the actual walk is normally on October the 4th, but we're giving you until October the 18th to do a walk, a virtual walk, uh, walk around your house, around your neighborhood, however you like to do it. Uh, seek some donors and uh, post it to our uh, website. You'll find the link on our noblesofirst.com on how to connect there. Also, in addition to the worship series that we're doing, uh, there's a book that can be read with us, and there's lots of great history for you to capture and understand our racial history a little better. It's called Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation. Uh, you can find that book by Latasha Morrison on your favorite Internet site. We do have a few copies in the church office if you'd like to acquire one. And we have four different discussion groups we've organized. Go to our Double First link there where we have those listed in details of how to get connected to those. Uh, three of those are uh, via Zoom and one is in person. And they're all at different times, so hopefully one of those will work for you. Also, be sure to help us as we develop the vineyard concept, as we try to connect everyone in our congregation with one another. Our next meeting to work on the continued development of that concept is Monday, September 28th at 7 p.m. via Zoom. If you think you might like to be a branch facilitator, please talk to one of the pastors or email care at noblesofirst.com and we'll connect with you and share what might be involved. And if you're new to us, be sure to 
connect with Bonnie Zipcraft, our hospitality coordinator. She has a free gift for you that she'll mail or deliver to your doorstep and share a little bit of information about how to connect with the ministries of Noblesville First. And get Now may the Lord send us forth into the world that's full of many, many challenges. But as we face this complex challenge of racial reconciliation, may we find the desire to learn and grow in our understanding of our racial past. May we face that so that we can be the people that bring forth a unity that only you and your spirit can create. Amen. Thank you.